we need to we need to you just some of you pray for me now as I get ready to bring the word because the first service a little lack of sleep made it a little rough for my mind so um, we're gonna pray I I guess let me just do things a little different than I did in first service because I think what I what I really want to do is help you understand what what I believe God has got for us today I've had many conversations with folks in this church and outside this church many times where I hear them say say I want to be able to do something to reach this person or I want to be able to do something for the Lord but I just don't know how or I just don't know if I have the resources I don't know if I have the strength and 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 many times we start kind of saying okay God I want to do something for you but I got to figure out the details first because I got to figure out how this is going to work how how do I make this work and and many times I think what we're, we're, we're thinking is we're, we're trying to serve a natural God that, that does natural things. Not a supernatural God that does supernatural things. We, we, we look at it, and it gets so hard to introduce a sermon because what's stirring in me is, is I'm like, look, I, I didn't ask to, be, ask to be an example. And that's very scary for me because I fail so many times. But I keep coming back to this. What is it that God, why is it that you know, from the guys we meet on the side of the highway to, to people being delivered or families put together. What, what is it? If, if it's not happening for, for other believers, what is it? What's, what's the difference? Oh, you're a pastor. No, it has, it has nothing to do with me being a pastor. It's about the power of God. And I think there's, when I started thinking about this, we've talked a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence, the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. And it's not about the tongues, that's just the evidence of the work. But the work is, remember, the disciples were hiding out in fear for their lives after Jesus was crucified. Why? Because if I was leading you away and the government came in and killed me for it, every one of you would be worried about, are we next? Very natural. There's nothing, you know, listen, Bible's been written, you know, I know it's a long time ago, kids, young people that are still in here. I know that's the hard times I had in youth trying to relate. But here's the thing. They were people with a government living in a land where there was difficulties like we have. And they followed Jesus to his death. And there's a bit of time there where they didn't know that all along he'd been talking about raising from the, you know, coming back and his kingdom being built. They just knew the one they followed had been murdered for what he believed and what he taught. But what was it that made them go from hiding out to turning the world upside down and even going under their death boldly for the gospel? It was that they were told to go and wait for who? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. That when Jesus went, he sent his Holy Spirit. But listen, so we've talked about that. But then I realized that, that some, some folks that are like, okay, well, I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. But but, but they forget also the Holy Spirit lives in you. That when we ask Jesus to, to be our Lord and Savior, he lives in our hearts. And there's another term that we don't talk about a lot in conjunction with this, and that's the, anoint, uh, the anointing. And even saying that, I realized that when I grew up in church, there's times people could say the anointing, and I thought it was just a Pentecostal term that we came up with. We made up somehow that that was like, oh, he had the anointing. It was always used for like a preacher that preached a good sermon. Oh, that preacher, he's anointed. And we use it like that. What we're really saying is, boy, I just like the way he preaches. <laughs> that was an anointing to us. Oh, whoa, people shouted in that service. That's anointing. The reality was is if people weren't out winning people for the Lord the next week with, a, with an endowment of power and really going after it, then, then they're not describing the anointing. They're describing a, a really good sermon that had a lot of truth to it. Still good, still powerful. Truth of God's word always changes. But, but what's the anointing? And we say that word, and if it doesn't really have a big punch in your life, like if I say the word anointing and you're not really sure what I'm talking about, and then that's what we need to th- that's what we need to learn today. What is anointing, and, and why would we need that? I want you to turn in your Bibles to First Samuel, chapter 16. That's where we'll start out today. First Samuel, chapter 16. Now listen. There may be people in here today that we've talked, or maybe we haven't, but there's addictions in your life or whatever. It might be pornography or drugs or whatever it is, and, and, or, or alcohol, whatever it is. And, and you're like, I prayed. Why am I not being delivered? And I've asked myself that question. I've prayed for guys. Why, why weren't they delivered? And, and so we really just sometimes chalk it up to, to well, God just decided not to. Or, or we prayed and that person wasn't healed. Well, yeah, sometimes people get their healing in heaven. I mean, Job could have had a lot of church people praying for him through his little time there, but until the test was done, it, it, it wasn't going to happen, right? And so there are, uh, God's ways are higher than ours, but, but still, 
there's something about the anointing that we need to understand. As I said, in Pentecostal movements, we've used it as a word to kind of more describe it when something just really sounded good or it really seemed to, to just touch our hearts. But the anointing is so much more than that. It, 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 really, it really has to do more with the work of the Lord and what, what it produces in others than it has to do with just something that we capture and we have and it's a token. When, when we look at 1 Samuel 16, this is where the Lord said to Samuel in verse 1, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? I use voices when I tell my kids. I read my kids, so I thought maybe you'd like that. Um, I'm not sure how God sounds, but we just make it up as we go. So, but the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Saul was, could have been God's man throughout his duration. But we know that sometimes God has plans for us and we really mess them up. And you can pull out of it. God is gracious again. But in Saul's case, he's, he's on the downward spiral. So there's a need for a new king. Just like sometimes God needs to give you a new mindset or new attitude. It's time for a change. And so it says, goes on and says, fill your horn with oil. So like a ram's horn. They used, it, they used those like containers. They could seal the end of it. And, and be able to use that. So I will, send you, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now he's talking about David, but we don't really find that out yet. God is talking about David. Samuel doesn't know which one of the sons, but we know it's D David. But that really makes what the story is all about is figuring out who it is. And Samuel doesn't know what son he's going for. And then Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. Think about this. The king, you're going to find a new king to replace the king. And the king tends to know a lot because he's got people that know people, right? And so Samuel's already thinking, how can I go do this? Because if the king finds out, it's off with my head. And he's already going crazy. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice the Lord. He said, take some beef, man. That bridges the gap right there. You know, everything be cool. Just take him some beef, right? Take him some steak and invite, verse 3, and invite to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And really there's a lesson itself right there. We could just stop and say, hey, that's good enough. Let's get this down right before we go forward because really God's just saying, um, just take what I tell you to take and go when I tell you to go and I'll tell you when you get there what you need to do. But how, how many times do we want to know already, God, I'll go as soon as you tell me how I'm going to do it, Right? I'll, I'll sell my home, which I love, probably with a nice piece of property, and I'll leave my beloved grandkids, and I'll buy me an RV that gets cold in the winter, and I'm going to go to Arkansas where it's getting cold already in October, but I'll go, but you need to tell me, how am I going to get there, and how am I going to pay for all that? How am I going to do this? And we do that, and it's, it's not to beat us over the head, but that's, that's a natural sinful nature in us. It, it, it wins out if we don't fight against it. It's the default if we don't fight against it. But really what it's telling us is don't worry what God tells you to do. Just do it. He'll, he will get the heifer ready for you. Whatever that heifer is. Guys. Mm, I saw some guys. They started to look. Uh, mm. <laughs> Danny got it. All right. And invite Jesse. That's David's father to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. I will show you what you shall do. And, and so just get going. <laughs> Samuel, just get going and I'll show you what to do. You know, quit discussing about what would happen if Saul found out. Quit discussing all that. I'm the Lord thy God. Go. And you shall appoint for me, and, and you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. So let's get a little bit into this. He's going to anoint someone for God, the next king. And I'm intrigued by this anointing because it applies to us a little different than it did Samuel. On one hand, it's a historical text talking about the, the one king who is getting ready to be pulled from power, another going in. So it's about God raising up a, a king through whom Jesus, through that lineage, would come. So this is an important move. Um, you know, God's not playing games here with his chess game. This is about to be checkmate, right? He's setting in line to fulfill the prophecy David is going to... Jesus is going to come from the line of David. And so 
in one sense, we're not called to be kings, so we're thinking this anointing doesn't really apply to us. I'm not being called a king. But we are chosen for certain works. We are called to certain works. We are called to certain purposes. And what I think we, what I know we will find from Scripture as we look through is that, that the anointing applies to all of us now because in the new covenant, we have all been called to a certain work. We've all, we're all being called. And so there's an anointing that is necessary to carry out that work. When you see the term anointing in the Bible, it's someone talking, a lot of times it's talking about a horn of oil and pouring it on someone's head, which I got to tell you a funny story about the pastor that started this church, uh, Jimmy Ray. We call him Jimmy Ray, Pastor Jim. He, he was a pretty small guy. He had been uh, very heavy set for a good part of his teen years and he lost a lot of weight. And so he was, he was kind of concave chest. He wasn't the manly man like, you know, I'll wrestle with you. In fact, Andrew that's here, uh, one of the big jokes is Andrew tried to wrestle with him one time. And uh, I guess he pulled some of his chest hairs. He's like, man, Andrew, you're pulling my man feathers. Stop it. You're pulling my man feathers. I mean, he just had a funny way about him. But, but I heard a story when he was up in, in Indiana pastoring there before he started New Song where some guy who was really overzealous in congregation asked if he could anoint Pastor Jim with oil. And most time when we hear that, we're thinking about, you know, I've got a little bottle of oil up there and we put it on the head, right? No, this guy pulled out a bottle of uh, Crisco. And I mean... You know, whoo, and he had a new suit on. I mean, drenched him. And Pastor Jim was so mad. But, but when, you, when you hear this, you know, they're talking about this horn of oil. I don't know, horns can be different sizes, but whatever amount, they would pour it over the head, and that was an anointing. It was a celebration. It was often used for like a new priest being uh, anointed as a new priest or the new king. And it's that, really what it's doing is it's saying this person is being singled out for a purpose. This is a priest that's going to do priestly duties for, for God. This is a king that's going to lead the people, you know. And, and so that anointing was tied with that. And that's what it means to be anointed. But on the other hand, again, it, we look at, 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 the new, at the New Covenant, New Testament. Yes, there's pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists, but the Holy of Holies, the curtain was rent in two. That there's no more Holy of Holies. So there was definite change and shift in how the anointing was applied because we didn't need priests to go into the Holy Holy, be anointed for that. We don't really have to have earthly kings, although men still demands it. So that's what it means to be anointed. I'll give it to you again. It, it's that the person has been singled out for special favor. Not favors, not like God's just going to do things for you and you kick back and relax, but, but with the favor God gives you, he's giving you responsibilities to go with it. God's anointing you to be the new king. So there's a big responsibility that goes with that. God's anointing you to be new priest. God's anointing you to be, a new, to do, be the new pastor. Big responsibility. God's anointing you to be a board member, an advisor team member. God's anointing you to be a, a children's uh, church teacher. You know, whatever it is. And so what's cool about this in Scripture is that God sent Samuel to Jesse to find a new king, to anoint a new king. But in the New Testament, over in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and he will send, not Samuel, but he will send the Spirit to anoint you if you'll believe in me. That was a, it was meant to be, this anointing was meant to be, to be empower you, to equip you, to enable you, to function, uh, to help you function. But first... You had to be filled and anointed. We, we know that there's a, an infilling or a baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes after the initial work of salvation because when Paul was traveling, remember to Ephesus, he runs into those faithful few that had been baptized in the water baptism of John and he asks, when have you been baptized in the Spirit? And like, we don't know of that baptism. We just know the baptism of John. They've been holding down the fort for, uh, some scholars say 20 to 40, but for some time. And Paul says, no, 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 he, he, there's, more, there's more to the story, brothers. Lays hands on them, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and they go out. But then we see these other times when there's a setting apart, and there's an anointing. It's not talking about a baptism, but an anointing. But I think it's interesting, the similarities, because they're talking about a horn of oil. They pour over you, and you get immersed in water. There's something about that liquid pouring over your body or immersing your body. It, it's, this, it's this cleansing, the setting apart for a purpose. And so being anointed doesn't mean I get a crown immediately or become a pastor the next week. But if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. God wants me to be anointed 
to accomplish my purpose. God wants me to be anointed to accomplish my purpose. Did you know that Jesus' last name is not Christ? Some of you are just like, whoa. You won't hear anything I say the rest of the service because that just blew you away. You're going to be walking out of this place now. Never heard of that day in my life. Never heard of that day in my life. But Jesus' last name is not Christ. You know what Christ means? The anointed one or the anointing. And it talks about in Scripture that Christ lives in us. That means that the anointing of Christ, if you have accepted Jesus, is in you. But I believe sometimes it lays there dormant, not being used because we let other things diminish its importance. And we don't focus on it, we may don't preach on it, we don't think about it, so we don't realize, wait a minute, you're, you're confusing me now. I get saved, there's water baptism, then, then in Scripture we see a work of a baptism of the Holy Spirit for and, and that's not to get fuzzy doodads and speak in another language. That's not the purpose. That's evidence. The purpose is it causes you to go out and make disciples boldly. But then you're talking about then sometimes God gives me a task or a purpose where there's a special anointing he wants to put on me for that task, for that purpose, to accomplish what he has before me. Christ means the anointed one. So when we say Christ is in me, what we are saying is the anointing is in me. It's not just on me. It's not just pouring over me, but it resides in me. And God didn't just take the horn of oil and pour it on my head because Jesus went up to heaven and sent down the Spirit to empower me, to equip me. That means what I've said many times before, that I don't believe that New Song is waiting for more people to come do the work that needs to be done. And I'm talking about ministries, discipleship, uh, classes or programs or, or children's church leaders. I believe that it's just some have, have let the enemy lie to them and the anointing they have on them to do that is laying dormant because they haven't recognized the fact that God has anointed them for that purpose. And for that, that, that's why we say we don't want warm bodies teaching kids. I don't want someone who, who we've guilted into teaching kids because they'll hate it and then the kids will hate them. And we're not promoting hate, right? Kids are like, I hate going to Sunday school. That person seems like they just don't want to be here. But to enable me, to equip me, to do what God's called me to do. How, how many know, if, you, if you've been into smartphones for a while, they had the little feature where you could bump and get information with somebody's phone. It's just kind of an odd deal. You can take your phone, and who's got their phone? Looking at Facebook, I'm going to call you out right now. Oh, Danny, <laughs> Danny, admit it, brother. Wait, you can go to the altar. We'll just get with you. No here, all right. He doesn't have Facebook. Okay, so they bumped their phones, and if you said it right, there'd be information. Like, I need a contact, bump. You know, so that was cool, right? But then maybe that's too aggressive, you know, in the culture we live in. So now they've got what they call airdrop. And I didn't really know. It showed up on my phone. I was like, what's this airdrop? I started kind of looking. What it is is that if I get close enough proximity to, like, if you had something said on airdrop for me to get information, oh, yeah, let's take a look at your phone. <laughs> How does, how does this work? You just sit up there? Is this one of those things that hang down here? I don't know. I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Um, airdrop, right? And so you, you get close enough and you're able, if, if he has something to give me, if I get close enough, he can just pass it to my phone through airdrop. But we don't have to be all aggressive and bump each other's phones. They're too expensive, right? Except if you have an iPhone 5S. Well, that was a cheapie. They don't do that anymore. All right. Airdrop. So if we use airdrop, we get close enough to each other where I can get what you have. And I guess that's kind of what, what I'm trying to say about the anointing is that, that, that now that God has sent Jesus to die on the cross for us and forgive us our sins, and, and he sent the comforter, right? So that they wouldn't, we wouldn't be hiding out in fear still now, just kind of holding the fort down, worried about getting killed like Jesus did, but that we'd be going out boldly. Then, then basically it's that if we get close enough to God and we keep seeking him and we keep going after him and interceding and God do more in me, I want more of you, then there's a time when he, he downloads to us an anointing for a specific purpose. When you read these stories, young people, if you take time to read the Word and you're like, I don't, I don't know, man, Daniel in the lion's den, David and Goliath, I mean, that seems so far-fetched. Listen, I will tell you that things like that still happen around the world. We don't hear of them. You know why? We're, we, our world's got a reprobate mind. They don't want to tell that story. 
So you don't hear those stories. But God still moves and shakes and does mighty, mighty, miraculous things. But, but the people he's doing it through have, have reckless abandon for the things of this earth. They're just like, I'm so done. All I want to be is in the presence of God all the time. Everything he wants me to do. I will go without food if I have to, and he will supply. I will go without money, and he will supply. I will go without my family if I have to, and he will supply. But if I can get close enough to him, and he has a purpose for me, the next thing you know, I don't even have to bump into God. Like the centurion said, you don't have to go there, Jesus. I know, because I command men that if you just speak the words, that, that healing comes. If you just speak the words, provision comes. If you just speak the words, Restoration comes to marriages. You know, kids, kids come back to know the Lord. When, when you have that kind of faith and you get close to him, and it's not something like you're better than others, it's just you finally said, you know what, look, I know I have all kinds of excuses why I can't get, get in and jump in with the body of Christ. I could really diminish this if I talked about just being present at church and getting in the body because a lot of you have heard a lot of that. I'm going to say again, the people are the prize. With Jesus, the people are the prize. The streets of gold are nice to talk about, but it's that none should perish and all have eternal life. That not one would perish, right? And, and who's, gonna, who's supposed to go out and seek and save the... We're supposed to go out and bring the message so that Jesus can save them, right? And the people are the prize. So what I'm going to tell you that is part of getting close to God is not just because, oh, my prayer life is good and boy, me and God talk. It's that I am actively always looking for those who the enemy is trying to devour and I'm on a rescue mission. My job is secondary. My, my, my everything else is secondary to God's plan for me and his purpose. And so the closer I get to fulfilling his will, I get close to him and he begins to anoint me for his purpose. And that's why you see Elijah calling out and drawing a line of sand and say, prophets of Baal, you think your God's real? Go ahead, take your altar and douse it with all kinds of water. Oh, dance, cut yourselves, do all that. And all he does is, God, bring down the fire. And it happens. You know, we could talk about it like it's not as big a deal when you're sitting, when I'm sitting in my office and there's someone we're talking about, some kind of business-related thing like it's happened recently with someone that was coming to help us with some banking needs and all of a sudden the Spirit says, things aren't right there. And you just out of your mouth before you know it, you say, hey, what's going on? And the tears flow. And all of a sudden you find out the family's breaking apart and God has planned them in the office, not because we need to get set up to be able to deposit checks from the office, but because that person needed to be rescued. So the anointing comes. The anointing comes. It's not meant to just come and then go. It's that you live in the anointing because Christ lives in you. It's there. Don't let it be dormant. You need to tap into that and understand that the boldness the Holy Spirit gives you is to recognize the anointing that has been placed inside you. The boldness that we talk about in the Acts account, it wasn't the end of it. It was that God was preparing them. He sent them out. So just go. We'll work out the details. You need a heifer, I'll get you a heifer. You, you need something to, to go out and do my work, I'll provide all that. Just go, and when the time's right, my anointing will come on you. I will send whoever needs to be sent to bring my anointing. And so in this case, Samuel's coming to anoint the next king. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to anoint his people. God says, if you'll draw close enough to me, and you'll allow me to have my way, Full control. I'll take what's in me and put it in you. Christ, the anointed one. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Sounds simple, but we, we often try to operate in our own power. We don't realize that God, is, God has given us the anointing to carry out his work. Oh, Pastor CJ, you, you got to understand, I've tried to talk to that person about the Lord and they rejected it. Yeah? You know, it's going to be a battle. But greater is he is in you than he's in the world. Don't back off. Don't, don't tremble. You, you aren't looking with spiritual eyes. You don't realize those demons trembled as soon as you walked up with the truth of the word. You just got a little bit scared because you're starting to think of the natural you instead of how God sees you as the one who has his anointed one living inside of you. And the, dimble, uh, and the demons tremble. When I walk into Benton County Jail, that's, I've told you before, I literally perceive that in the spiritual realm the ground is shaking beneath my feet 
And when I talk to those young men or older men, I talk to them. I'm not trying to fool myself. I feel it. I feel the power and presence of God. The anointing, when it comes, it will stand your spine up as straight as a steel rod and your eyes will get fixed and your heart will become passionate towards the the brokenhearted and you'll speak the truth in love and you'll see the tears begin to flow. And what those tears are evidence of is the Holy Spirit has just broken through the shell that the enemy tried to put over their heart. And you who he's called to be an anointed one, has now done the work of Jesus the Christ. You have been a true Christ follower. That's what it's all about. If the church would mobilize, and every single one of us would get that so much in our spirit that we walk out of here just, I say it before, ready to kick the devil in the teeth, ready to chew up nails and spit bullets, ready to, you know, it, it ruins Superman movies for you because he, he looks like a weak, weakling after you've, you've got a hold and understand the power of the Holy Spirit. You're like, that ain't nothing. I don't need to fly around the sky. I mean, you, you try to change somebody's heart, Superman, and you see how flying looks easy, you know? If you physically try to change somebody's heart yourself, how's that working out for you? But you see the power of God change a heart that's been maybe decades running from God and just breaks their heart and changes their whole life. That's the supernatural. That's the supernatural God we serve. I'm going to cut that story short on David a little bit because I want to get into, um, in the last little bit we have, now there's a recipe for the anointing. Now this isn't self-help. I'm going to give you four steps to getting the anointing. But I want you to understand that in, in the Old Testament, the anointing, it was so serious that, that, that if you use the anointing of God against the way he designed it, the Jewish people would kill you God says you should be banished from the church. Out. Now put it in today's context. One of you abuses the anointing of God, and I'd have to say, get out. Get your stuff, go. Now that messes with us. Oh, God, a loving God? Well, he takes seriously his gifts and the things he gives us for his purpose. And so here's a couple things in the, in the recipe that I want us to look at. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Not by my might, nor by my power, not, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by our own might. It's not by our own power. It's us getting God's airdrop, his anointing. So here, here's something interesting. In Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 30, it says, When the Lord said to Moses, collect choice spices. Then the Lord said to Moses, collect choice spices. Twelve and a half pounds of pure myrrh, Six and a quarter pounds each of cinnamon and sweet cane. Some of you ladies are perking up now. You're like, oh, talking, we're talking recipes now. Cooking class, awesome. Twelve and a half pounds of cassia. That was kind of chauvinist, guys. I know you were all about it too. Um, and then a gallon of olive oil. Blend these ingredients into a holy anointing oil. Use this scented oil to anoint the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. This is where God's presence resided in the Ark of Covenant. Think about the importance of that. The table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its accessories, the incense altar, the altar of burnt offerings with all its utensils, and the large wash basin with its pedestal. Sanctify them, make them entirely holy. After this, whatever touches them will become holy. Use this oil also to anoint Aaron and his sons, sanctifying them so they can minister before me as priests. And say to the people of Israel, this will always be my holy anointing oil. It must never be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you must never make any of it for yourselves. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. Anyone who blends scented oil like it or puts any of it on someone who is not a priest will be cut off from the community. That means the altar, if we have lampstands, the the pulpit, everything that's meant to, to, to come together and to worship God, It had to be anointed with this, and you didn't mistreat it. And God prescribed exact ingredients. It was so important to him, and he took it seriously. And the first ingredient, liquid myrrh. Myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial. It it, it had such a strong aroma, a nice aroma, it 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 would cover the smell of death. And so they used it in a time when they didn't really have the same embalming techniques as we did, and so myrrh. And what this is saying to us is when the anointing comes, something has to die. And that's when Paul talks about dying to ourselves. Some of these RVers know they've heard me say, guys, I'm sorry if I sounded short today. I I got stressed today. 
you know, listen, I wish I could say every moment of the day, I just, boy, everybody's seeing me just walk in anointing, and I just walk, but, you know, I'm looking out at the natural things that God set before me, and, oh, wow, we got to get these trusses on, and we got to get dried in before the cold weather comes, and all this stuff, and before I know it, I've, I've, I've focused on the natural things instead of the supernatural that God's put before me, and, and I'm getting stressed, and I let it start to impact my attitude, and I have to die to myself. I have to stop and say, listen, it's not about this, it's about the people. Will you forgive me for getting angst? Will you forgive me for getting out of line? Will and so every day, some of you want to know, Pastor CJ, how, how is it you tell these stories about picking guys up on the side of the highway and God's spoken to you and I'm speaking to their lives exactly what they, and I already know things about them. How does that happen? It's not, it's not me, it's the Lord. I have to get up every morning and say, my body wants to lay in this bed and not go do that work. My, my personal selfishness may want to go back and work at Walmart corporate office and try to climb the ladder and do my own thing and, and, and make, make big money, you know, and, and all those things. That, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's, that's not what God's called me to do. And so I have to die to myself every day say, this is most excellent what God has given before me. This is most excellent for me. I can't, I can't be called and anointed to what, what he's asked Bill to do, but for me, this is what's most excellent. I have to die to myself every day. That's one of the ingredients to seeing God interact with you like that, for you to be that person that rescues those who are lost. Liquid myrrh. And then we see second, sweet cinnamon. Now with the fall here and Christmas coming and all, you think about the apple pie and the cinnamon candles and all those things we smell, that, that sweet cinnamon smell. But it was used for flavoring and it gave off a very pleasant smell. Its fragrance was beautiful in the tabernacle because it counteracted the stench of animal sacrifices. Again, death. But see, in that time, especially around the Passover, they would kill so many animals because that was the old covenant. Whether we understand it or not, God required for sin death of something, and he didn't want to be the people so they could kill animals in their place. Prize bulls, prize lambs, whatever. But the altar, there'd be... You've got to realize the possible several millions of people bringing their animals at one period of time and sacrifice an altar, the blood would run and they had to have a way to get it out of the city. So it ran out and it went down in a valley and it'd be staining that place with, with that. And it's, it could smell so bad they had to flush it with so much water. They had a cistern that ran and they flushed with water. And, and the cinnamon smell was to get rid of that stench because they'd wash and wash and still they had to worry about that. So it is, again, representative of the cinnamon was sometimes we let the stench of our past sin still be the aroma people smell. I met so many Christians that are just sharp in their tongue with other people. They're just quick to give a judgment or quick to give a correction or just be, be difficult to talk to. And I think, you know, I know we have different personalities, but are you letting the Lord change you or are you just dug in your heels wanting to still radiate that stench of, of sin? Or are you wanting God to sweeten? So when people come around you, they smell the sweet aroma of what Christ has done in you through the forgiveness of your sins, through that sacrifice. So we have the cinnamon, and then we have the sweet-smelling cane or uh, calamus plant. It grows in miry soil. To get this plant to smell, you have to beat it. How many have ever felt that God's had to beat you into, into submission, right? But you have to beat it. You, the more you beat it, the better it smells. And a lot of us will run from hard things that God puts in front of us, not realizing that that's what's meant to kind of beat the best out of us. To, to get us to where, where we're beating all the things that stink to other people, and he's trying to shape us and mold us and, and make it better. I, I joked in uh, a couple of RVers, and they kind of prod me about it, that when I first became pastor, I still had that joshua military mindset and we're marching on to the promised land and and don't stop to pray about a splinter i mean good grief you're not bleeding out i mean we're really we're gonna pray in service about a splinter that's kind of how god's brought me a long way some of you know because i've walked journeys with people who have cancer and stay by the bedside and that will break your heart and it will make you compassionate about even the splinters but but god sometimes has to thrash us to, to get out all the, the stuff that entangled us and get us to where finally that sweet aroma of, of his work in us is coming out. So that's the third ingredient, the, the sweet-smelling cane. And fourth, the cassia. 
That price only grows at elevations above 8,000 feet. Now, for you younger folks, this is Batman Begins. Remember beginning scenes. It's going to climb to in this oriental country to the very top to get the little purple flower, right? So that gives you a reference point. This was a difficult thing to get, 8,000 feet. The places that are 8,000 feet are generally difficult to get to. And many times God, God puts us in a place where the anointing comes after we've really, really struggled and struggled to get closer and closer to him. God's not really a far off distance from us, but it feels like it when we're trying to work through the muck and the mire in our lives to draw close to him. So the cassia, the sweet spice that grows at elevations over 8,000 feet. And here's the final fifth ingredient. All of it was mixed with olive oil. Not Popeye's girlfriend, but olive oil. And the mixture was called holy. Over and over again in the Bible, the oil symbolizes the work of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing, we don't have to go climb 8,000 feet. We don't have to go beat some kind of spice. When we talk about the precious blood of Jesus that covers our sins, the one who lives in us, the Christ, the anointed one, it's already in you. You need to identify with what Christ has done in you. If you've come to know Christ and you've not been baptized in water, then part of your struggle may be that you're just not being obedient. He's told you to do that. You're still going to heaven. I mean, the thief on the cross that believed in him didn't get a chance to get baptized. I mean, if it rained, I guess he got a Catholic baptism, but he didn't get a Pentecostal one, you know, where he gets submerged, unless they dropped him in the lake afterwards. I don't know. But while he was kicking, he didn't get baptism, right? And so, but there's, there's certain things in obedience, and that, that's another one. And the other thing is, if you... If you aren't desiring the work of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you're making it a denominational thing. You're making it about whether I choose that kind of church for me. And that's not what it's about. And we're not going to get into whether Pentecostals or Baptists or who has. I'm just going to tell you, it's in God's word. It had a purpose, specific purpose. Not for some crazy service, just to, so we're like, ooh, we're different than everybody it was to send you out with boldness. So you want to know why you cower when you got an opportunity to tell people about God? You want to know why that happens? You need the work of the Holy Spirit in you. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come on you and then him to anoint you and it will stir you up and you'll have that boldness. I wouldn't be standing to, here in front of you preaching. I didn't have some natural thing. I went to Bible school. I didn't do great in my preaching classes, as you can tell. I skimmed by. I don't have a natural ability for this. Anything you see good and anything I do before you is simply that God and me seeking him and drawing close and he gives me what I need and as the baptism of the Holy Spirit continues to do work in me and create boldness, the anointing comes at the right time and it's there all along. It's just whether I realize it's there. I've told some of you a story about the demon-possessed man, uh, young man that, in fact, talking about Batman, he looked just like Christian Bale, but Talk like it too. A little eerie when you, the only real demon possessed guy I've ever met was like Batman. But, you know, there was other ministers in there that didn't have the Holy Spirit working. And the reason I know is because they, first of all, didn't believe until they saw it for themselves. And two, they cowered and didn't know what to do about it. The Holy Spirit is meant to give you the power, the endowment of power necessary to carry out the work he's called you to do. That's why it gets frustrating. That's why it gets scary if, if, you aren't, if you aren't seeking God's word and saying, hey, what do I need to accomplish this text? It's in the scripture. We've covered it. He's saying, all you need to do is say, seek me, get close to me, and I will airdrop. I will Holy Spirit airdrop to you whatever you need. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for this day that you have orchestrated and you've brought each one here, God, strategically, no no mishaps, no circumstance, but strategically you've brought us all here for a purpose to hear this word and God, you've illuminated your word to us. And I pray against the tempted enemy to complicate this. Because Lord, we know it just comes down to you. It's not about what we can get away with and still live for you. What can we give up for the cause of Christ? What can we die to daily? What can be thrashed and beaten in our life to bring out that sweet aroma? What hill do I have to climb? What mountain do I have to climb, Lord, to accomplish what you've asked me to do? I need to be 
equipped, charged up, powered up by your Holy Spirit, by the anointing, Lord. Maybe not to be a priest, maybe not to be a pastor, not to be a king, but Lord, there are people who are dying all around me in their sin. God, there are people at work, in my family, my friends, there are people. And even then, Lord, I feel weak in my walk because I don't know what to do when I'm there in front of them. I feel powerless. And God, your word says the power comes from your Holy Spirit. The anointing is in the one who, when you accept him as your Lord and Savior, lives in you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I don't do this because of embarrassment, because really there's nothing embarrassing about coming to the Lord. I just do this so that there's no distractions. With every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know about him, but all this talk about the power of your life and all this stuff, it's it's not there, and you want to know the power of God in your life. You want to not only know it, but to thrive and for you to excel with the power of God working through you as his servant, as his follower, as his child. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. If you're here and you say, I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I need a change. I can't do this on my own anymore. I need him. Right, believers, those of you, if I, I trust that everyone here has made a decision to follow Christ. And so now where we're at is that you need to determine, is everything God's got for me happening in my life? Or does it feel like something's missing? Is, is there a power missing? Am, am I seeing fruit of my ministry? Are people being saved through, through the work you've done in me? Are people's lives being changed through me? I'm not going to ask for a raised hand on this one. I'm just going to say, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you to do, if it's to come to one of these altars and pray and ask the Lord to help you, if it's to write down a commitment that, all, that you're going to fast and pray over this, whatever it be right now, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. In response to that, I pray we take some, a few minutes here and do that.
often, but there's someone here, I feel like you're just, you're right there at the cusp of giving up on, there's something that's, that's got you in bondage, whether it's an addiction or there's something holding you back. But there's someone here, but right now, I'm going to tell you, the Lord is saying, you can't imagine the freedom you're going to feel. It's not about a show. He wants you to get up from where you're at, come to this altar. He wants to deliver you. He wants to set your path straight. He wants to bring healing, not only to your body, but to your relationships. And He wants to set you completely free once and for all. He wants you to be done, completely set free in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is that's got you in bondage, he wants to set you free completely. happened to me last Sunday at Bella Vista. It was a little different situation. As someone who God put in my heart had been playing church for a long time, had everybody fooled, and it was one of the hardest things. I can't even imagine the young lady that we waited for a while and stood and came down, but you could see the relief in her eyes that she didn't have to play anymore. She didn't have to put on, that it was out, that God was ready to do a work in her, and she received it. And, and the word says that the truth will set you free and that's the thing when you hide things and you keep them as a false when you keep them hidden they keep you in bondage and so this doesn't do me any favors for you to come up I just feel strongly that the only way that the Lord is going to get you to the point where you're finally broken enough when you're finally serious enough and ready is for you to step out in faith there's a lot of people here that be praying for you who love you but I just feel like that, that we got to stop for a few moments an opportunity and this will be between that person and the Lord but I'm just going to challenge you don't leave here the same as you came don't leave here you know we say addiction or bondage and everybody thinks of drugs or alcohol it could be pornography it, it could be lying it could be whatever it is there's so many things that entrap us and that keep us in bondage but it's not worth it not worth it. I went to Bible school not letting people know that there's something that wasn't right in me. And I kept saying, I'm fine. I'm fine. And pride comes before the fall. I stayed proud, but I fell. I had one of the most difficult times of my life for the next few years. But God turned all things new. He rescued me. And now I stand before you, healed, moving forward, not looking back. And that could be you. He wants you to step out in faith. God wants to deliver you. Whatever that is, you know it's the roadblock. It's not even a question. You know what the roadblock is. So I just pray that everybody begin praying now that if there's someone here that's holding back, that God would just speak to their heart. Nothing compares to 
ready to leave this place, God, that the temptation will be to walk out, to go to wherever we're eating our meal, Lord, and to let this just tuck away. But God, your word is powerful. It will not fall to the ground, but we have to make a choice to let it remain. That God, even the children of Israel were warned to continue to tell their children, and just a few generations later, begin to forget about what you've done in their lives because they didn't purpose in their hearts to let it remain story. So we pray right now, Lord, you help us to let it not only remain our story, but get, continue to write our story, our future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love y'all. God bless you. Remember Wednesday night, 630. More, more of God here together. Amen.